This podcast does not provide medical advice. Please listen to the complete disclosure at the end of the recording. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Everyone Dies, the podcast where we talk about serious illness, dying, death, and bereavement. I'm Marianne Matzo, a nurse practitioner, and I use my experience from working as a nurse for 44 years to help answer your questions about what happens at the end of life. And I'm Charlie Navarrete, an actor in New York City, here to ask questions that you may have while listening to our podcast. If you have further questions, let us know. We are both here because we believe that the more you know, the better prepared you are before a sudden crisis, because everyone dies. So please relax, get yourself something delightful to snack and sip, and thank you for spending the next hour with Charlie and me as we talk about healing from our grief. In the first half, we have our recipe of the week that takes us to the sand dunes of Massachusetts. Mm. In the second half, I'll be talking about EMDR therapy for grief, which is eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. And in our third half, we welcome back Claire Lucky, known on Instagram as the Grieving Bitch. At age 33, her husband of two years died, and she joins us to talk about her experiences as a millennial widow. If you're fond of sand dunes and salty air, quaint little villages here and there. You're sure to fall in love with old Cape Cod. Folks, if you're fond of sand dunes and salty air, quaint little villages here and there, running into Carly Simon and her hair, then you are sure to fall in love with old Cape Cod. Additionally, Mm. you are sure to be a hit of the next funeral lunch that you attend if you bring a jug of Cape Cod's. To serve to the guests. <laughs> I, I love these segues. <laughs> takes a, it takes a lot of Cape Cods to write these segues, let me tell you. Yes. In the 1940s, Massachusetts-based beverage company Ocean Spray invented a cranberry juice and vodka cocktail called the Red Devil. To market signature juice to adults. Well, I'm glad they weren't marketing it to kids. Yeah. Cranberries used to make the juice were sourced from the nearby bogs of Cape Cod. And thanks to the influence of local farmers, the drink's name was changed to the breezier Cape Codder in the 1960s. To make your home brew, not to be confused with Miles Davis's Bitches Brew, Pour one and a half to two ounces of vodka into a glass, top with ice and cranberry juice, and serve with a lime wedge. The lime wedge is optional. What a nice way to toast a life well lived. For this recipe. <laughs> and, and folks, I hope you took notes. I mean, uh, I'll, be, I'll be happy to repeat that. I know it's a complicated recipe. But for this and other per- pertinent relevant, important cocktail information, go to our webpage for the recipe and additional resources for the program. Kindly follow us on Facebook and Instagram. And remember, rate and review this podcast. We have a link in our show notes that makes rating our podcast easy peasy. And it would really be helpful to us, a licensed nonprofit organization, 
We are dependent on your kindness and always appreciate your tax-deductible donations. Many of you have let us know that you find this podcast to be of help to you. Thank you for that. So please go to our webpage to donate so that we can continue to provide quality shows about serious illness, dying, death, and bereavement at www.everyonedies.org. That's every, the number one, dies, dot org. Marianne? Thanks, Charlie. The death of a loved one is typically universally distressing. Bereavement, even when uncomplicated, can have life-changing consequences. Also, the death of a loved one may trigger past traumas and losses and increases one's emotional vulnerabilities. When someone we love dies, we may lose the person we looked to for security, comfort, meaning, and balance in life. A loved one is both a part of our lives and the external world and a part of our identity and our internal world. Whether the relationship was positive or negative, secure or insecure, peaceful or conflicted, the deceased had a contributing role in defining who and what we are. In the immediate aftermath of a death, especially when it's sudden and unexpected, it's difficult to understand who we are and what life will be like without the loved one. With death, the world changes things, and it'll never be the same. Grief and mourning are different. Grief is the reaction a person has to a loss. Mourning is the process of integration and adjustment to the loss and adapting to the world without the deceased. Now, Niemeyer in 2015 wrote about her the view of grieving as a process of reconstructing a world that has been challenged by the loss. The death of a loved one creates a crisis of meaning in the life of the bereaved. Mourners need to sort out the story of the death to make sense of what has happened, including implications for our ongoing lives. So, Charlie, healing from grief, especially traumatic grief, is especially difficult because of the trauma associated with the death. Now, one treatment that is really shown to be working well, uh, and it might be new to to you and our listeners, is called EMDR. Now, EMDR stands Mm -hmm. for Eye Movement Desensitization and Reprocessing. And it's an interactive model of therapy that helps you reduce and replace your symptoms of psychological and emotional stress. EMDR is effective because it helps you heal from your painful life experiences by addressing the root cause, not just the symptoms. EMDR therapy is extensively researched, effective psychotherapy methods shown to help people recover from trauma and other distressing life experiences, including grief and loss, PTSD, anxiety, depression, and panic disorders. So let's step back a minute and look at how your brain organizes your memories, emotions, and feelings. So one way to understand how EMDR therapy works is to think of life experiences as a file system. When experiences, emotions, and physical sensations are manageable and make sense, the brain automatically sorts through these, disregards what's unnecessary, 
and places the remaining files in long-term storage. You can recall what happened in the past and you know those experiences are over. But when experiences, emotions, or physical sensations are extreme, when they cause distress or are traumatic, the brain processes that normally sort, discard, and move files to long-term storage can stop filing correctly. These difficult experiences can stay stuck and feel as if they're happening in the present over and over. Experiences continue to pile up with unsorted and unprocessed information. This can cause extreme distress. Unprocessed information can stir up feelings of fear or anxiety in everyday situations. EMDR EMDR therapy works by exploring this information safely with the help of a qualified EMDR therapist. Experiences, feelings, thoughts, and physical sensations can be delved into, and accurate ways of understanding this information will be discovered. This new understanding can assist in removing the emotional charge and allow the regular brain processes to start sorting and filing these experiences, emotions, and physical sensations in a way that makes sense. The information is no longer piling up in the present and causing distress. The brain starts the healthy process of sorting, disregarding what is unnecessary, and places the remaining file in long-term storage. Our brains have a natural way to recover from traumatic memories and events and help us to make meaning of an event. This process involves communication between the amygdala. Now, the amygdala is the alarm signal for stressful events. The hippocampus. Now, that part uh, assists with learning, including memories about safety and danger, and the prefrontal cortex, which analyzes and controls behavior and emotion. While many times traumatic experiences can be managed and resolved spontaneously, some may not be processed without help. In the wake of traumatic experiences, people often experience strong emotions like anxiety, anger, guilt, and shame, and develop negative beliefs about themselves and the world that are not true. Some beliefs might include, I'm not good enough. I'm out of control. I can't trust others. By the end of the process, these beliefs are replaced with adaptive beliefs that you learn how to make. So how does this work? Well, it uses something called bilateral stimulation, or BLS. And it refers to sounds, which usually are tones from a headset, uh, visual movements, which is following a moving object back and forth across a perceptual field, or it can be kinesthetic, which has to do with movement or sensation, especially within the body. It can be cues such as tapping, which requires tracking by the eyes, ears, or body, and can include eye movement, tapping, pulsing, or sound. What is thought to happen when the brain is introduced to BLS is that it stimulates a part of the brain called the thalamus, which is responsible for processing sensory information and relaying it to other parts of the brain to be integrated. This happens with all things we perceive and experience, including highly emotional experiences. 
During a distressful or painful event, this part of the brain is activated and begins processing things as dangerous, scary, and unsafe. This gets relayed to the memory part of the brain and gets integrated in that way. All of us have experienced trauma and often get triggered to react as if we're reliving that traumatic moment. So you can have, let's say, for example, somebody who, as a young child, was attacked by a dog. And then even 40 years later, every time they see a dog, they cringe and, and tremble. It's not because the current dog is, is any threat to them. It's that their brain is remembering that traumatic event and their body is responding to, responding to it as though it's happening right now, even though it happened 40 years ago. So doing, during EMDR, the therapist introduces BLS to activate the thalamic area of the brain. Doing this when you're in a safe, calm, and in a therapeutic environment relationship, your brain and body will begin to heal itself by forming new meaning to the memory, new positive feelings, and beliefs about yourself and the world. In a sense, you're rewriting the narrative of your story to reflect what is true, that you are worthy, valuable, and strong. So the desensitizing aspect of it allows your mind and body to become less reactive to the original memory and subsequent triggers and begin to create new meanings of the event with new, more positive emotions. EMDR will not make you forget your past, but will help you turn down the volume and intensity of the experience so that you are free from its effects. So the R, the reprocessing part of it, is what happens when you begin to experience new feelings regarding the memory of the event and develop new beliefs about yourself that replace the maladaptive and untrue beliefs that you previously held because of the traumatic experience. Stress responses are part of our natural fight, flight, or freeze instincts. When distress from a disturbing event remains, the upsetting images, thoughts, and emotions may create an overwhelming feeling of being back in that moment or being frozen in time. EMDR therapy helps the brain to process these memories and allows normal healing to resume. The experience is still remembered, but the fight, flight, or freeze response from the original event is resolved. EMDR therapy does not require talking in detail about the distressing issue or completing homework between sessions. EMDR therapy, rather than focusing on changing the emotions, thoughts, or behaviors resulting from the distressing issue, allows to the brain to resume its natural healing processes. EMDR, EMDR therapy is typically conducted in 8 to 12 sessions, with each session lasting about 60 to 90 minutes. For many people, EMDR therapy can be completed in fewer sessions than other types of psychotherapies. EMDR can help improve your mental relationship to the deceased, meaning it can help improve the ability to experience, tolerate, enjoy, and share thoughts and memories. The nature of the thoughts about the deceased can shift from predominantly distressing thoughts to appreciation and greater acceptance. A study by Cotter uh, 
published in 2017, documented that participants reported that they became more willing and able to sit through thoughts and painful memories of the deceased. By doing so, these events became integrated into their life stories, and the distress associated with them decreased. As this occurred, participants reported increased recollections of memories of the deceased, and in particular, positive memories. So here's a comment from somebody from the study. They said, now I remember her as she should be remembered, as a happy, fun-loving mother of two that loved me to pieces, instead of the person who contracted a terrible disease. Those thoughts or those memories don't overtake anymore. I can look back now on the fun times we had and remember them. Participants also expressed greater readiness to be around others as they spoke about the deceased. This allowed them to share their memories. One person said, I think my family would see that I'm feeling a lot more positive about the memory of my daughter, which helps them as well, because they used to want to talk about it, you know, and I would just get angry. Interviewees reported a greater sense of acceptance surrounding their loss. This included accepting the reality of the loss itself, as well as their own behaviors and reactions to the deceased person's life and death. Another person said, I had a lot of trouble thinking about the hospital. I was with my wife when she died, and she was as good as gold, and that she just died. She was talking to me, and she said, I want to go home. The pressure is too great. What she meant by that, I'll never know because she died. And then the the therapist helped me accept that. In addition, participants reported decreased avoidance of physical reminders of the deceased. Someone said, I've taken the photo album home and kind of not hidden it away as much as it was before. It's kind of almost in plain sight. Participants also describe more positive thoughts about the deceased. At times, this would involve a broader understanding of the deceased and their actions. Someone said, more regret and sadness and a lot more pity and understanding of just because he did a shit job doesn't mean he wasn't doing the best that he could. People who've had EMDR treatment report decreased Uh, vividness with um, distressing memories being recalled after therapy and accompanying decrease in distress caused by them. Participants described images as harder to visualize and being viewed from further away. Most significantly, the distress associated with these memories decreased, allowing participants to notice those memories without becoming adversely affected by them. Uh, somebody was quoted as saying, negative memories I tend to remember with less hatred and anger, and they feel less directly emotive as though they weren't happening to me, more empathetic in that I've seen it happening to someone else. And this particular outcome is really unique to the EMDR therapy uh, itself. So look uh, for our resources for the show notes in terms of how to find an EMDR therapist. There are apps that you can have on your phone to do the EMDR exercises, but these kinds of things should be done with um, the support of a therapist. 
Charlie, what kind of questions do you have about that? You know, it, it's interesting, Marianne, because several years ago, just a bunch of us were just out and we started to talk with people at the next table. And one of them uh, was a physician's assistant. And she was, I don't know, maybe on her dissertation, I, I don't remember, on her PhD. And um, because she theorized that, I mean, just what you were saying, that there is people sometimes get hit with some illness or, or, or some disease that just does not run in, in their family. And she was theorizing, yeah, that it's something, some long-held trauma, um, either long-held or maybe some sudden trauma just can affect your body and your mind so much that it just then physically, it doesn't destroy you, but it just takes you, it, it, that it can just be debilitating. Um, I'd completely forgotten about that to, until you were saying it, but, you know, but with that, with, um, if either someone is, is not aware and doesn't make that connection or maybe, you know, friends or, or loved ones point out that, you know, the, the person is, in, you know, more and more, is getting more and more sad or is increasingly anxious, and the person poo-poo's, you know, getting any sort of help. I mean, what in a situation like that, what do you do? Well, you know, assuming somebody's competent to make decisions for themselves, mm -hmm. I guess we're we all have the right to be unhappy and and to not seek treatment. But EMDR is really for those people who say this is, you know, so debilitating to me. This right. is interfering with my quality of life. Um, you know, using my example of the person who's traumatized by, you know, a dog, it's like, right, I right. want to be yeah. able, you know, I met this wonderful person and they have a dog and I want to be able to be with them. And so I need, I need to work past this. You know, there's something that motivates the the person to say, this is not working for my life and I need to, I need to heal. And in terms of grief and loss, it is, you know, such, especially traumatic where mm -hmm. one minute everything's fine in your world and the next minute it's all been blown apart that you say, well, how do I recover from this? I mean, how do you recover from extreme trauma? And um, it's very difficult. It's very difficult. But this um, EMDR has shown, you know, in the studies, you know, there's a good scientific base for how it works and why it works, and they're able to say, you know, here's the treatment modality. So if you're, you know, if, if you're suffering, if somebody's suffering um, from anxiety, depression, grief, loss, those kinds of things, you have, I don't think, have anything to lose from trying this intervention to see if you can feel better. And because as far as we know, you have yeah. the one life, right? you know? Yeah. And you know what I, what I was thinking too, I mean, some, sometimes, you know, people just don't want to or can't 
um, listen to, you know, the, the person closest to them. I, I hope if, you know, anyone uh, listening, um, you know, if you're in, in that situation and your, you know, significant other or friend is not able to listen to you, maybe they'd be willing to listen uh, to what uh, Marianne just uh, was said about all this. Um, yeah, definitely yeah, share, yeah. Yeah, share, 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 share the podcast, podcast. and say, hey, yes, yeah. Yeah. This, is, this is really interesting and maybe it'll help. Yeah. yeah. You have nothing really to lose no, not at and all. everything to gain. Yeah. All right. Wow, thank you. You're welcome. For our third half, Claire Lucky, who goes under the name Grieving Bitch on Instagram, is part of the Everyone Dies correspondent team. At age 32 and only five months after her marriage, her husband was diagnosed with stage 4 glioblastoma, brain cancer, in February 2020. Claire was Matt's caregiver until his death in June of 2021, about a year ago. To begin to cope with this loss and trauma, she channeled her sense of humor and inner bitch by creating the Grieving Bitch account on Instagram. Clara is sharing her grief journey and life challenges as a 34-year-old widow living in New York City with Everyone Dies in her regular bi-monthly third half segment. So we're back for our third half with Clara Lucky, our, our millennial grief correspondent. And she just had, a few weeks ago, Father's Day, the one-year anniversary of Matt death. And so this week we thought that we would talk about how that anniversary went. So hi, Claire. Hi, Marianne. Hi, everybody. So did you plan anything special for the anniversary? How did you approach this? Well, I, I knew it was going to be intertwined with Father's Day because the impetus of Matt's death was Father's Day. And he passed when I went to go see my dad on that day. And that was essentially giving him the space to transition. So I think for me, I'm, I'm going to spend Father's Day with my dad until, until one of us dies. So I knew it was going to be associated with that. But Father's Day was like the 19th or something. And then Matt's death anniversary was the 21st so what I ended up deciding I wanted was to spend two nights with my dad like the the night before and father's day and then come back to the city and then be in central park that morning and Mm -hmm. watch the sunrise and maybe do a couple other things that day because Matt actually died on the summer solstice which is the longest day of the year so I wanted Mm -hmm. to make a day of it And leading up to it, I felt like I had this really physical response to it. I think uh, the body does keep score. And in this Mm -hmm. case, for me, I was treating this day like an MRI. I I felt like this pit in my stomach that would reach all the way up until my chest and my, my lungs and my throat. And there were times when I was... I just had no appetite. There were times when my I had heart palpitations. There there was times where I was just shortness of I had shortness of breath, and I also was in this adrenaline mode 
where there wasn't enough hours in the day. And I was waking up naturally at 5 a.m. every single day and maybe getting, you know, five or six hours of sleep per night. And that was really exactly what was going on this time last year. So my body was preparing me for, for it, for something, even though Matt wasn't going to die again. Matt wasn't going to have a bad MRI. Nothing really bad was going to happen, but my body was just like getting me into this like fight or flight mode. Mm-hmm. And so how was the visit with dad? How's he doing? He was, he was doing really well. And I, I mean, all things considered that we're, we're both grieving the loss of Matt, but we, we spent some good quality time together, went to the beach. We went, went out for dinner one night and he cooked the other night. And I, I came back to, I brought my cat out and my cat was up to some hilarious antics and he broke my dad's green door. <laughs> Yeah, he got out on the deck, and it was it was really pathetic because we know he's not a flight risk now because we came back from the beach and we saw him just sitting on the deck meowing, waiting to come back inside. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing like a cat for entertainment. Yeah. So it sounds like he had a good visit. And did you guys, did you and your dad talk about Matt? Or? We did. Uh we we talked about um, there's one little shrine that my dad keeps in his apartment for Matt, and it's it's a really it's it's a really strange slash touching shrine. My dad has a a bar countertop in his kitchen, and underneath it there there's an outlet with you know that you can hook your phone chargers up to. Mm-hmm. And when Matt was leaving his le- the function of his left side, Matt was, was using it to charge his phone. And one day he pulled it out really fast and it broke part of the charging station. And my dad never had it fixed. And mm-hmm. he never told me about it until then. And I immediately, I mean, we, I immediately said, I'm sorry, because that's my reaction, because I felt bad that, you know, there was like some damage and I had no idea. And then, you know, we obviously burst into tears and was like, there's nothing to be sorry about. But it was just this, this really interesting, tender moment that we shared about what just the reality of what it was like and to, to watch Matt decline. And just mm-hmm. some of the things that we keep around the house that reminds us of him. Mm-hmm. That's really sweet of your dad, huh? Yeah. He's the best. And he's, he's stepped up in a lot of ways because, you know, I've, I've lost my husband and we've been together for eight, nine years. And, and now my dad's back to being the leading man in my life. Mm. Well, that's probably bittersweet for him. I, I, he probably likes it, but doesn't, would rather it not be that way, huh? Yeah. Yeah. It's not exactly what a father dreams of for his child, right. his, their spouse. So how we, did we the, make it work? How did the Central Park plan go? Well, it, it went, it, there were, there were some ups and there were some downs. I, I miscalculated where the sun was going to rise, so I didn't quite catch the sunrise, but 
I had a specific spot in Central Park where I wanted to re- reread me and Matt's wedding vows. Mm-hmm. And I call it my safety tree. And the tree is called my safety tree because when I was Matt's caregiver, I would get to that tree in the reservoir on this, on this path that goes around the reservoir. And that was the distance that it took me to start to be safe enough to cry. So that's why I call it my safety tree. I could let my emotions just run free. So I went to my safety tree and I went and I sat down and I saw this little glow in the dark star right next to me. And that little symbol, maybe, maybe it's a a little woo woo symbol from Matt, but I remember at the end of his life, I bought all these Amazon glow in the dark stars that I was going to hang up on the ceiling in our apartment and I never got around to it. Uh, but I, I bought them all because I was so devastated that when he came home with hospice care that he would not be able to go camping with me and we would never fall asleep below the stars again. So I thought I would put all these stars on our ceiling. So it was a really nice little thing to find under my tree of safety. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I read the vows and I I cry about a third of the, well, two thirds of the way through. And then I get to the very end and the very end in our wedding vows, which we wrote, say something like, I will love you forever. And then on the fly, I was like, I will love you forever, alive or dead. And it just felt so right in that moment. Hmm. Wow. Alive or dead may be implied in forever, but I just felt that's really what needed to be done. Mm-hmm. And after I read the vows, I, I felt so empowered and I felt like almost it, like I, I kind of had that adrenaline from the wedding day because I haven't re- reread the vows since we got married in 2019. Mm-hmm. And I ended up going to my dance studio that, I, that I'm obsessed with, 305 Fitness. We can put that in the show notes. And if anybody... I'm sorry, go ahead. If anybody wants to, if anybody wants to come dance with me and talk about Daft content, please come with me. I will make it so much fun. I've taken literally 356 of their classes. I just found that out this week. So I went to 305 Fitness. And I, I had one of the best dances of my entire life. It was like I, I was dancing at my wedding. It was like Matt was there watching me. And I just had such a ball. And, um, and then after that, I just, I just made it a treat myself day. I got a massage. I got a facial. I got sushi. I made steak. I, I did all, all of these self-care things. Sounds like a great day and sounds like it was really really a celebration yeah it was a celebration and i'd say the the next day was a little bit of a grief hangover so i think like that day i was so like you know like ready to go ready to get through and i did all the things and then the next day i didn't do that much and that's all good it's it's all fine and good well, it was probably exhausting from, you know, because all of that is emotional. It's up and down, all that dancing, all that eating, you know. 
takes a lot out of you. It does. And then slowly that uh, that chokehold around me, it started to dissipate. Mm-hmm. I'd, I'd say like that pit in my stomach and all that. I, I'd say by like day three or four, it was gone. I'm not necess- I'm not waking up at 5 a.m. anymore. Mm-hmm. And so do you think, do you see this being a ritual for you every year? I think reading the vows is going to be a ritual every year. Central Park, I, Central Park, yes. Seeing my dad, yes. So I think most of this will be, actually. Mm-hmm. And I think that that gives sort of a, a touchstone to to this, you know, poignant, traumatic experience. I don't know if it's an experience, but events. I don't know what we should call it in your life where you, you know, you stop and you say, this is, this happened and kind of, you know, not that you ever not remember it, but sometimes it's like a, like a birthday, you know, like you always know how old you are, but there's that day where you kind of stop and say, this is the day. And that's true for a death day. It's like you stop and say, this is the day. Yeah, I agree. I think this is, it might sound weird, but it's, I'm going to treat this as a personal holiday for me. It's not Mm -hmm. a day I see myself working. It's not a day I see myself being with people in the public. And now I actually recall something else that happened leading up to it. I was getting really snippy at the office with people leading up to this in the, the week before. And I was like, I have to work from home. Like I can't be around people because people were talking about their father's day plans and the long weekend plans. And I was like, I, I like, I just couldn't handle it because I, I was going to either bite someone's head off and say, well, my husband effing died or, you know, who knows what was going to come out of my mouth. So I, I wanted to remove myself from general population, gen pop, <laughs> as they call it in prison. <laughs> so you put yourself in isolation. Yeah, I put myself in isolation. <laughs> Sometimes isolation is good. And it's, and it's good to know when, when you need to kind of remove yourself because some people should remove themselves and they don't. And that can be bad for everybody involved. So you're a wise woman. Thank you. Well, um I was with you on that day, you know, aware that it it had been Matt's final day. And although I didn't know Matt, um, it really is, you know, I I think, I think about what, what the two of you went through at your very young age and, and the trauma physically and emotionally and, it really is heartbreaking, Claire, and um, I'm sorry that you went through that, and I'm sorry Matt went through that, And I'm, but the other side of it is I'm glad that you're allowing other people to learn from what you went through. So that's the good from it. Thank you. I'm always here to share my story in hopes that it'll help somebody else. 
Well, I appreciate you. And we'll talk again in a couple weeks, eh? Sounds good. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. See ya. Please stay tuned for the continuing saga of Everyone Dies, and thank you for listening. Like sand through an hourglass. You know, it's the same if you turn it upside down. It, it's, it's like a palindrome. You know, auto spelled backward is auto. So are madam or nurses run. Okay, so this is Charlie Navarette quoting James Dean, who ironically observed, Dream as if you'll live forever. Live as if you'll die tomorrow. And in reference to Mr. Dean, Max Holloway notes, heroes get remembered, but legends never die. And I'm Marianne Masso, and we'll see you next week. Remember, Cape Cod is more than a place that can give you that warm and special feeling. And every day is a gift. This podcast does not provide medical advice. All discussion on this podcast, such as treatments, dosages, outcomes, charts, patient profiles, advice, messages, and any other discussion are for informational purposes only and are not a substitute for professional medical advice or treatment. Always seek the advice of your primary care practitioner or other qualified health providers with any questions that you may have regarding your health. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it because of something you have heard from this podcast. If you think you may have a medical emergency, call your doctor or 911 immediately. Everyone Dies does not recommend or endorse any specific tests, practitioners, products, procedures, opinions, or other information that may be mentioned in this podcast. Reliance on any information provided in this podcast by persons appearing on this podcast at the invitation of Everyone Dies or by other members is solely at your own risk.